You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Actually, it's the it's the lead play in our in our offense. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you want to email the show, you can reach us at Packers Total Access at gmail.com. You can text the show at 865-658-5824. I'm joined alongside the great Paul Brettel uh, from Packers Wire and Dairyland Express. Paul, I'm looking at the chat here, and they, they're they they're working me like a mule, buddy. They're already complaining that I was 30 seconds late. That's just how it is around here. Uh, no, Lombardi uh, time, right? Exactly. And they, they actually mentioned that the other day specifically. I said, I'm more on the long, along the lines of Dan Devine time. All right. Get off my back. So, but with that being said, being said, man, how was your week so far? Uh, it's been great. And like I always say, I am very happy to be here. It's one of my favorite conversations each week chatting with you guys. Same, same right here, man. I'll tell you, um, I've been following you on Twitter, put out some great articles. Love that write-up you did on Luke Musgrave. Someone who, it was so cool when I see him with Paul, Paul sees it because I was running down some numbers. And then I seen you mention blocking. I'm like, look at this. Okay, Steno kind of bragging on his blocking. You can mm-hmm. see tape too. Pretty exciting stuff. But I'm not going to try to predetermine this conversation. I told you going in, I want you to control what you talk about rather than me going you know, I'm kind of nudging you going, hey, talk about Musgrave. I don't want to do that. So um, first things first, though, what do we have on the injury front, Paul? Like any updates there? Yeah, so there's three names that stick out most to me. Obviously, the return of Jair Alexander on Thursday in a, in a limited fashion. And I have to say, I was very surprised by that. Uh, during Wednesday's practice, he wasn't even going through the individual uh, workouts with the rehab group. He was off to the side doing the bike and Honestly, just after that practice, when Matt LaFleur is talking to us, just kind of his his tone, you know, and again, reading between the lines here, but his tone around it gave me the vibe of Jair and someone who's close to being back on the practice field right now, let alone being available for Sunday. So obviously this is a good step in the right direction. Uh, you know, how he re- responds to today's practice and his availability Friday is going to be huge. I'm still personally kind of 50 50 on whether or not he's going to be out there and when we get to the defense I'll dive into it more but if there's a week to have him out here man this is it because watching Wednesday's practice unfold like the the cornerback room uh, was supposed to be and I know Zach Cruz has used this term but I really like it like one of the guardrails you know there's this young inexperienced team especially on the offensive side of the ball going through a transition but you got these certain position groups cornerback being one of them, offensive line, your running backs, heck, even special teams, year two with Rich Bisaccia. These are going to be kind of the, the the elements that we can lean on this season. And special teams has not 
taken that step forward. They've done a good job of, you know, having some splash plays, but it feels like for every, you know, big play they make, there's a, there's a retractor. And I think it's flown under the radar a little bit, just given all the other issues that have gone on with the team this season, but we know it's improving, but we know the offensive line play overall this season hasn't been up to the standard that we expected. And that obviously affects the run game. And then back to the cornerback position, like this room looks just completely different than what I think any of us would have ever guessed. Not you know, about halfway through the season. I'm watching, you know, the limited portion that we're able to be at practice. I'm watching Wednesday's practice unfold. And we got uh, Robert Rochelle and Caillou Blue Kelly as the backup boundary cornerbacks out there. Like, that's that's where this cornerback room is so like I said I'll get into more the defense when we get to that aspect of it in regards to this week's game but obviously if there's a week where Jair can go Justin Herbert Keenan Allen that's where you want him to be available Rudy Ford uh, still did not practice and he's been out this week with a shoulder injury and if we recall when he did miss that Rams game it was a calf injury so this is something new something that popped up during the the previous game Matt LaFleur all he said on it so far is that they're just working through it right now but typically, two do-not practices, not often a good sign for Sunday. And if that's the case, uh, it'll be, I'm guessing, as we saw against the Rams, Anthony Johnson lined up against Jonathan Owens. And he held up very well you know, in his, in his NFL debut as a starter, Anthony Johnson did, you know, with, the, with the safety position. You want that word safe emphasized. Like he came away with an interception, which was awesome, but I think even more uh, promising was that there wasn't, you know, he was positioned well. He was where he needed to be. He was willing to make tackles. There weren't these, you know, big plays that were taking place. But again, Brett Rippon and the Rams, Justin Herbert and the Chargers, whole different beast. And then Quay Walker is the third one. A limited participant both time these both practices this week. Appears to be trending in the right direction to get back on the field. And Matt LaFleur was asked about Quay Walker today and getting him back in the mix. What can that do? And the floor went to kind of the same thing that he's really stressed the last couple of weeks with this defense. We need turnovers. Talked about Quay's ability to uh, go after the football, his willingness to do that. We've seen a few times he's been positioned, whether he comes away with it or not, but he's been positioned to come away with interceptions this season. So that's another aspect where this defense can one help itself by just getting off the field, but for a young offense that, extra possession in a game uh, that improved field position that often comes with turnovers like that can do wonders for such a young unit and the Packers this season they're one in four when they lose the turnover battle like that kind you know it's that kind of has been the writing on the wall and even when they win it they're one and one when they tie they're one and one like because there have been so many other mistakes on this team that even winning it doesn't guarantee you to the the victory necessarily or like it used to of course so that's something to big watch this week uh, unfold. And the Chargers, Justin Herbert, really, really good at not turning the ball over. I think they have the lowest number of turnovers in the NFL this season. Their defense has one of the highest. So just from that standpoint alone, that's already a mismatch for this Packers team that has struggled to get turnovers and uh, given the ball away way too much. The Steelers were kind of similar. Didn't turn the ball over a ton. We're very, very good about coming away with takeaways. And the Packers hung in there for most of the game up until those last couple possessions uh, in that regard. But definitely something to watch. And again, Matt LaFleur specifically mentioned that ability to create turnovers when talking about Quay Walker's return. Oh, it's good stuff. 
a lot of information there. It's nice to see Jai out there, and, and hopefully he picks right up where he left off that last game. I mean, he was fantastic. He mm-hmm. looked like the old Jair for sure. Um, you know, Rudy's been turning some heads kind of in a national spotlight too. I think I've got it right here, Paul, just to kind of hit on it real quick. And like you said, we'll get the defense here in a second, but this was really cool. 38.3 passer rate and allowed in coverage this season, fourth among all defenders. I went – all defenders, really? <laughs> it's pretty pretty cool stuff there, right? When he's kind of playing that free safety position, not so much in the box like they like to put Jonathan Owens, obviously. But that's exciting. So I hope he plays. I think that could go a long way, too, with that that very low passer rating against. You know, that, that could help against that air, air attack there from uh, Justin Herbert as well. But uh, as far as the offensive side of the ball, Paul, I know you've been doing a lot of digging this week, a lot of just behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, what's the first thing that comes to mind as far as what you're digging into here lately on the offensive side of the ball? Maybe the just the first thing that that's on the forefront. Yeah, I'm going to reference an article I had up at Packers Wire this morning about Jaden Reed. And I know he's the, the hot topic this week amongst Packer fans, and understandably so. But I had the opportunity on Wednesday to talk to both him um, and Jordan Love about his play in recent weeks and just to kind of tee it up. So... I believe it was over the first five games, Jaden Reed had caught just 52% of his passes. He was 0 for 5 in contested catch situations. And that was actually uh, like one of the selling points, for lack of a better term, on why the Packers wanted to draft him. Because as we know, he doesn't meet that prototypical size uh, that they covet at the receiver position, six foot plus, 195 pounds plus. Like he doesn't meet that, but he was one of the best receivers in the Big Ten last season in contested catches, plays a lot bigger than his size. But again, we hadn't seen that unfold. Last four games, uh, he's uh, third, I believe, in receptions among all receivers in receptions of 20 or more yards, 20 or more air yards. Uh, So being that downfield threat, his 15.7 yards per catch, I believe ranks 17th. And yards per route run, he ranks 21st, which is, I really like that metric because it's an efficiency metric. It's an effectiveness metric that PFF uses to to measure how well receivers are performing. And again, I believe that was out of 81 receivers eligible during that same four-week span. So again, that shows the impact that he's making. And I, it's not a coincidence that the Jordan Love deep ball has improved as we're seeing this surge from Jaden Reed. And one of the the points of growth that I referenced was that on that final drive, that connection between him and Love that really put them into scoring position. Because as Reed told us yesterday, you know that's not how it was drawn up. That's not something they'd ever talked about. That's not something that they've ever worked on in practice. It was just, there's open field. I'm heading that way. Jordan Love, and again, this shows the growth, the connection that's developing between the two, had the same thought. There's green grass over there. Pressure's coming. I got to get rid of it. That's where I'm going with it. And it was a perfectly thrown ball. G- Reed was right where he needed to be. So again, I think that really shows the the growth that they are experiencing as a team. And that was really one of the big things that Gudikins referenced in the offseason. Like, yeah, there's going to be growing pains, but they'll be able to grow through that together. And hopefully, hopefully it forms a stronger chemistry, stronger bond, and you see more productivity from it. So Jaden Reed's emergence has been huge. And when talking to him, Love, or even Matt LaFleur in terms of what sparked that, it's the same answer. It's literally the experience, the experience that he's gotten now from having all those reps in practice all those in-game reps, seeing different looks from the defense, understanding his role in the offense, but just as importantly, what the role is of everyone around him. Like that's when you truly start to 
you know, master the playbook, so to speak, when you know what everyone else's job is going to be. And he's a rookie. That part is still a work in progress. I'm not saying it's done, but there's been a big step in that regard. You know, again, in his own words, loves words, Lafleur's words, and also understanding when the defense is giving you a certain look. All right. How are they trying to defend me? What are they going to do in this situation? And how do I counter it? Because I still remember, I think it was, I can't remember which game. It was early on after the Saints, after the Lions game and sitting in the locker room and Jordan Love had talked about how uh, in-game adjustments that defenses make have really challenged these Packers pass catchers. At the end of the day, if you've never seen a look before, you've never seen a look before and how you react to it, your timing, your route, how you respond to it, like you're kind of figuring it out on the fly to a degree. And as we saw, your routes are going to be thrown off. And I think a prime example of that was the Broncos game. You know, Matt LaFleur said they had, that was off the bye week. They had game planned. All right, here's what Denver, on their opening script, here's what Denver likes to do early on. Here's how we're going to attack it. Denver came out with something completely different. And again, we saw those early struggles. There's that, again, it's part of the youth, but it's the, the inability sometimes to know how to respond or at least how to respond effectively, I should say. And I feel like collectively as a group, they're becoming much better in that regard. Same for Dontavian Wicks. Uh, same for Luke Musgrave as well. He's got four explosive plays in the last two weeks. That was an area with him that they had struggled to get going. But again, it's something that's come along the last two weeks. And uh, Love mentioned one of the corner routes late in the, gra- late in the game that Luke Musgrave ran. And that was an in-route adjustment that Love said. And by reading... Musgrave's body language, like that's how nuanced this is by telling how he was going to adjust mid route. That's how he knew where he was going to go. And he made that adjustment based on what the defender, how the defense was playing that play. So again, circling back to the overarching theme, the growth, the experience, they're seeing more, they're knowing how to react. They're better understanding what their jobs are. And we're seeing the, the results start to come now, of course, is like any young player. It's about building upon that. But the deep ball aspect has really come alive for Green Bay. Love was five for eight against Pittsburgh on passes of 20 plus yards, two for three on those same passes against the Rams. Like that's what this offense has been missing. We all knew that the chunk plays. It's a tough life to live in the NFL. If you got to go 10, 12, 13 plays to score every single time, especially when you're as mistake prone as the Packers are like that's not sustainable. You know, best case scenario, maybe you get two attempts, you know, in the red zone, a game with how they had been playing this season, 14 points. We know that's not going to get the job done. You need those explosive plays to expedite those drives. Also, and I know I've talked about it in here before, but how the defense defends you. They're not afraid of you vertically. They're going to shrink the field and it makes moving the ball in every other uh, facet all the more challenging. So the Jaden Reed's development, his growth, and his big playability that he's bringing it's it's unlocking a lot for this offense right now. And I know it was another loss, but I think just about everyone would agree we saw progress. That loss was not like the other, you know, that four-game losing streak that that this offense had experienced. And again, Jaden Reed's play and the overall big playability that we're seeing from several members of this offense uh, was a key part of it. Definitely. I was on the 33rd team website earlier today and, and kind of looking at, at how they had the Packers and, and they were talking about personnel. They have a personnel graph. And – 11 personnel, hands down, is the most efficient personnel that we work out of, right? Now, I'd love to mm-hmm. see that more than 12. We know 12 serves a purpose. I got you. But when you're talking about Musgrave and Jaden Reed, we actually hit on it yesterday. If you'll notice here, you've got uh, Luke Musgrave, if I can – yeah, there he is. He's ninth in uh, yards per target. 
not in the entire National Football League in yards per target, right? And what's crazy is only 39 targets, right? I mean, he is – you put that into perspective, you've got people like a, you know, like a Travis Kelsey who's, who's gotten targeted 72 times. I believe mm-hmm. there was another one in there that was in the 80s or, or right at the 80s. Um, you know, passer rating when targeted, another cool stat here, right? And when you look at where he comes into play here, not in passer rating – when targeted at 106. I mean, you're right there behind Travis Kelsey, Travis mm-hmm. Reed and Kelsey. I mean, that's, that's exciting stuff to me. And like you mentioned with Jaden Reed, of course, uh, guys, make sure you go vote for Jaden Reed, rookie of the week. We've been talking about that all week. Let's make sure we can get him uh, in there on that. Some of the stats for him too, as far as yards per target for Jaden Reed, when you break that down, he's right here in the top 30. Let me get this comment off here so I can find it. So you see Jaden Reed is 23rd in yards per target at 9.3, really exciting stuff there. And then passer rating when targeted too. And this is sorted by wide receivers across the National Football League with 20 targets or more. He's 20th in the league at 112.9 as the passer rating when he's targeted by Jordan Love. It's just, it's exciting stuff to see these young guys come together. And one of the things that we've noticed when they do go to a single high, they're basically saying, we don't think you can beat us down the boundary, right? Mm -hmm. On the outside, well, okay, maybe we can't, but that deep crosser to uh, to Jaden Reed, that's there, and you're still getting that vertical aspect of the game. It's uh, it's really exciting. I'm excited about Musgrave, Wicks, and and Reed. I just want to see a little more eleven personnel so we get that heavier rotation of those guys on the field because when they're on the field, I noticed that too, Paul. I think it was the the uh, the next to last drive there. You looked up there in eleven personnel, and they're kind of having to go hurry a little bit. Mm-hmm. And who's on the field? It was Dontavian Wicks. It was Jaden Reed and Romeo Dobbs. It's like, okay, we're seeing a little bit more of that. I'm not writing Christian Watson off, but you can tell he's really trying to force the ball to Christian when he's on the field, right? It just feels like that, but um, good stuff. As far as the deep – go ahead, Bob, sorry. I was just going to say the – because I agree, like in those must-have-it situations, he's been going to Watson, and you you understand why. I mean, in an unproven room, you got your – you got your 6'4", 4'3", wide receiver. Like, yeah, that's where you're going to go – with the football on a lot of occasions and because it's in those aggressive, like I said, must have it. I think that's a big contributor. Why five of his interceptions have come when targeting Christian Watson, just kind of the, the situation that they're in within the game. But hopefully as Reed continues to take these steps, he can potentially become that guy or at least another option. I mean, as Reed continues to emerge Musgrave wicks, like even though Watson is struggling, he draws a lot of eyes on him, again, for the reasons Absolutely. mentioned, the abilities that he has. If other guys are starting to make plays now, too, that could take some of the the burden off of him, so to speak, and hopefully help him uh, get going in this in this game as well. So all of that, as we know, plays off of each other. But in those late-game situations, because we know the Packers are going to find themselves back in it at some point, need a touchdown late in the game, you know, uh, Reed's definitely presenting himself as as someone who should be an option in those situations. Yeah, definitely. And Jake Shavink in the chat said, this feels like the Watson game. I hope it is because I'm tired of the, the Christian Watson slander. I want him to just come out and, and shut those people up for sure. But if we were to flip over to the defensive side of the ball, Paul, um, what do you think about the defense this week? Maybe what you've been digging into. Great stuff on the young uh, pass catching targets there in Green Bay. But what about the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, so I'll take it a little bit different direction because I'm sure we've all talked about and heard about the run game and the Joe Barry defenses for a lot this week. So this Chargers offense and who the Packers are going up against this week, to me, and again, I have this article up over at Packers Wire, 
this is a different beast than what they've experienced this season. And what I mean by that, in terms of points per game scored, the only other team that Green Bay has played up to this point that's in the Chargers stratosphere is the Detroit Lions. Lions are six in points per game. Chargers are seventh. But the Lions average the fifth most rush attempts per game. Like, yes, they have Jared Goff. They have St. Brown. But they want to run the ball. That's, 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 that's the big part of what they want to accomplish. Chargers are the opposite. Justin Herbert is eighth in pass attempts per game. He's fifth in most downfield pass attempts, 20-plus yards a season. This is a Chargers offense. Keenan Allen is leading the NFL in targets this season or receptions. I apologize. It's one of the two. But you get the gist. Yeah. Um, so to my point, it's a high-scoring offense. That wants to move the ball through the air. Again, the Packers haven't had that con- that specific combination to go up against this season. And going back to the the state of the cornerback room, you know, they're gonna have to contend with a Keenan Allen. They've played other, you know, top pass catchers. They went up against Devontae Adams, but Devontae Adams didn't have Justin Herbert throw into him. She you know, they've gone up against other good quarterbacks, you know, Kirk Cousins, but he got injured that game, was without Justin Jefferson. As I mentioned, Jared Goff and St. Brown are a one-two punch, but the Lions offense, they want to run the ball. This is going to be a different challenge than what the Packers have had. And while trying to limit Keenan Allen is priority number one. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. The Chargers have six pass catchers who have between 25 and 38 targets this season, excluding Allen. So Allen is obviously the heavy target, 
But when Herbert's not going to him, there really isn't a number two because it's going everywhere. And Herbert is attacking all levels of the field, left boundary, right boundary, middle. Like this entire defense, all 11 guys are going to have to be on the same page because while, yes, you want to take away, or I should say limit, you're probably never going to take away Keenan Allen. You just hope he doesn't destroy destroy the game for you. But as you try to limit what Keenan Allen does, they're going to have to be on point everywhere else because that ball will go to any one of those other pass catchers as the numbers show, including running back Austin Eckler. It'll go to any parts of the field. Uh, Howard Herbert's very willing to throw there, and understandably so. Matt LaFleur is very complimentary of his his abilities as a quarterback, his arm talent, and we all see that. So this is going to be a unique challenge. Uh, stopping the run, if, if able, is one way to help out your secondary, put that offense in predictable passing situations. The pass rush getting after the quarterback is another ob- obvious aspect that can help the secondary, put some pressure on Herbert, but he's at that level of quarterback play where that's not a given like just because he's under duress under pressure doesn't mean an interception's coming in fact it, it rarely does uh it doesn't mean there's even going to be an, an inaccurate pass he's been one of the more accurate uh passers under duress this season but again it at least puts the odds a little bit more in your favor than if he's playing from a clean pocket and as good as Rashawn Gary has been this season this Packers pass rush has been really inconsistent overall uh, they they haven't done a consistent job of getting after the quarterback. So those are two key areas, again, outside of what the secondary does that can help out the that aspect of, of this Packers defense. And one other thing I just want to add on that defensive side of the ball, uh, the Packers have given up the eighth most explosive plays this season in a, in a defense where the MO is not to give up explosive plays. Now, I will say, in the, I think the true aspect of what we think of an explosive play, those downfield passes, like they don't give up those, like they're not getting beat, you know, they're not getting beat behind them, but they're giving up a ton of explosive runs. And a prime prime example of the explosive plays that they do give up to me is that Vikings game where the Vikings were in a ton in third and longs Packers were playing off. Kirk cousins was taking what was available over the middle in space it's a poor tackling team, yards after the catch opportunities. Like though that kind of if the Packers take that approach, like Herbert to Keenan Allen, like most of his over half of his targets come within nine yards of the line of scrimmage. Like even though Herbert wants to push the ball, he gets the he gets the ball to Allen in that short intermediate areas very, very often. So again, all eleven guys to the ball. And I assume the Packers are gonna play a lot of their too high safety luck the downfield passing play, but they're going to have to be have things really, really short up underneath. And again, that's a, a another reason why getting Quay Walker back would be huge. Yeah. Last thing I'll say on this: the Packers' run def- or run game on offense can be the defense's best friend this week because Packers don't want this to turn into a shootout. That is obviously just not a recipe for them this season. But if they can run the ball, we've talked about how that opens up opportunities for the passing game. But it also controls the clock. It you know it limits possessions that Justin Herbert can potentially have and uh, keep that offense off the field. Because again, they do not want to get into a shootout. Yeah, and when you look at the tendencies according to the thirty third team, uh, the Green Bay Packers are running man coverage twenty one percent of the time, zone sixty four percent of the time. As far as the pass rush itself, they're bringing four rushers the large majority of the time out of that nickel two four five with sixty one percent just being four rushers. 
Uh, 30% of the time they're bringing five rushers and only 3% of the time are they bringing six or more. So I think what you're probably going to see here is a little more of that quarters coverage, right? A little more of that too high shell and just try to keep everything in front of them from a passing game standpoint. That, at least that's that's kind of what triggers to me. Now, the last thing we want to do, Paul, is, is go out there and say, okay, we're not going to let them pass on us and they run the ball down our throat. We've seen that so many times this year. It seems like as soon as we we start to lean a, a little bit in the comfort, okay, this is an opponent that we can take the the eyes off the backfield a bit. Bang, there it is, right? So, um, yeah, this is uh, right here, as Mike Hebring says with the Super Chat. Thank you, buddy. He says, this is the opponent that Joe Barry D was built to stop, right, <laughs> to, to keep everything in front of you, kind of limit those explosive plays through the past. The majority of those explosive plays came on the ground, right, Paul? That's what you said. Yep. Yep. Yeah, overall in the passing game, they rank, I think, in the bottom 10 in terms of explosive pass plays given up. Got it. Um, but in the, I think, like fifth or sixth in terms of explosive run plays, and it averages out to them being like giving up the seventh most explosive plays overall. Yeah, and the missed tackles are just, oh, they're out of control, absolutely out of control. We had Mike Wall on yesterday, and I asked him, I said, Mike, you're the DC. You're hired to fix this thing. What's the first thing you're doing? He said, I'm going in the building and saying, listen, Wednesday, we're we're spending 30 minutes before practice just tackling. That's all we're doing. We're going to practice tackling. So it's obviously the biggest, the biggest issue there. Joe Barry, of course, commented on the on the gap integrity and all that and how they mm-hmm. tried to play that one gap, you know, type of defense against a the run there against Pittsburgh, and it still didn't work. So um just kind of a tough look in the run defense, but same time, aren't they pretty efficient in the red zone as far as defense? Am I thinking right, Paul? Do they get one of the better red red zone defenses? Yeah, they do. They've been that that bend but don't break style that we hear about. They've been pretty good at limiting touchdowns. But the the overall problem with that approach on this year's team is that they just don't have the complementary football to go along with that. They're giving up 10, 12 play drives. And yeah, they hold them to a field goal in, in a number of instances. But then the offense has gone three and out. And now the defense is back out on the field, giving up another 10, 12 play drive. Like if you're going to go with that style, keep it in front of you, uh, not give up the big play, but they're still going to pick up first downs and your offense isn't able to extend drives, which has been the case for most of the season. It's just this vicious cycle that this team continually finds itself in. And one other point I want to make, my biggest takeaway from the Fleur's press conference on Monday, and uh, I'm not sure how many were able to tune into that, but for all the the angst about Joe Barry and his play calls like Lafleur was absolutely putting that performance on the players. Now he, I think there was one time where he like, yeah, there's situations where we should have done this differently schematically, but go back and listen to it. He was absolutely putting what happened in Pittsburgh on the players. It was not, you know, again, not to say that he doesn't think that there's things that can change schematically, but that's where all of his areas of improvement I'll say were being emphasized and you know it put into perspective for me because I think uh, I'll I'll speak for myself obviously but I think it can be forgotten about that yeah Joe Barry is a defensive coordinator he's calling the plays on Sunday but that approach that they're going into the game with LaFleur's signing off on that Joe Barry's not going rogue throughout the week and Matt LaFleur's like all right let's see what they come out with today like he is signing off on what that overall game plan is and their game plan against Kenny Pickett was to uh, not put extra guys, at least early on, near the line of scrimmage against a team that has struggled to push the ball downfield and that you know wants to run the ball. 
Like, yeah, schematically, there's things like they should not have come out the gate that way. Force Kenny Pickett as best you can to be the guy to beat you. And I know you're without Jair Alexander in that game, but still, what does your opponent want to do? What do they like to do? What are they good at? Try, like Bill Belichick, you know, he's synonymous with this. Try to take that aspect of that game away. And the Packers didn't do that. That's on the floor too. He's signing off on this game plan. He, you know, one of the things that he said that stood out was there was nothing that we asked them to do in that game that we didn't practice over and over throughout the week. So again, it's a preparation. It's a teaching component. It's the, are you in the right spot? And I think it was Jerry Montgomery yesterday when he was speaking to us, I had a, had a really good, a really good point. It was something to the effect of like when, something goes wrong, like a player misses their assignment. Mm-hmm. Nobody's there to recover for them. They right. haven't had that secondary line of help that, Hey, I got you on this one to step in and minimize the damage. When someone's out of place, no one is there as a backup to fill in to again, limit the damage. It just turns into those explosive runs that we've seen those third down conversions that we've seen given up. But I thought that, like I said, that that was my biggest takeaway coming out of that. Cause again, we can, Joe Barry's can always point our finger at what he's dialed up. But again, Matt LaFleur signing off on the game plan and he was very much putting it all on or most of it on the players and how they played on Sunday. Yeah, schematically, there's always tweaks to be made, of course. But um, Mike Wall would 100% agree with you. He basically told me, you know, you I don't understand why they didn't try to make Kenny Pickett beat you, right? Mm-hmm. And then when I went back and watched the tape, what I noticed, Paul, and I'll let you go. I know we're way over. I could talk to you all night, buddy. Um, <laughs> I noticed that they played press man. They loaded the box, and then they got hit with the explosive penalty, right? The, the defensive mm-hmm. pass interference on Carrington Valentine. The very next play, they're off. Right. And then that's exactly what you're talking about. So it's like they tried it in spurts and it bit them in the rear end in the second half. Again, press man, back shoulder throw, explosive throw to uh, to Pickens. Right. So it's just like and again, you got a seventh round pick out there in Corey Ballantin or uh, yeah, Corey Ballantyne. That's what, like a sixth round pick from a few years ago. Right. Being on mm-hmm. and off practice squad. So it's just it's tough. But uh, yeah, I. I kind of seen it the same way LaFleur said, but then again, I'm the Joe Barry apologist around here, Paul. I've, I've just embraced the role. <laughs> so, but we appreciate you embracing your role and uh, and being our Packers insider, man. We can't thank you enough. It's it's always a blast to talk to you. Yeah, I agree. I love this. Thank you, guys. Yeah, have a great night. Again, that's Paul Brettle. You can follow him at Paul underscore Brettle. You can uh, check out his writing over at Packers Wire and Dairyland Express. And uh, make sure you go uh, check out his YouTube page as well to search Paul Brettle. Paul, have a great night, buddy. Appreciate it, Clayton. Take All right. All right. Now we'll bring in the the mad Mexican Italian here in the house. We got Emilio. Emilio, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Clayton. Love the picture, man. Yeah, not bad, right? That's this was actually taken right at sunset today. Packers.com shared it. They just got the got the lamps out there on the field, making sure that grass looks pretty for Sunday, right? And it's supposed to be a beautiful day. I think 42 degrees and sunny. Yeah. What they're expecting now. Granted. That sun's going to go down quick with this uh, daylight savings time or whatever you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, the It'll get cold fast, but, you know, they're they're working while we're sleeping, man. It's good to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mike Hebring with the Super Chat. We appreciate you, buddy. He said, if the D problems is due to players, which starters do you want to see on the roster next year? It's a great question. Uh, you got to build around the strengths, right? I think this is a good – that's a very good question to kind of jump into some of the stuff that we wanted to talk about, really. Um, you know, we got a, a quote from Joe Barry that I'm going to read here in a second, but right here is one man I want to see extended. I mean, mm-hmm. this is this is wild, guys. 
38.3 passer rating allowed in coverage this season. Rudy Ford, fourth among all defenders. Guys, that's, that's all corners in the league. That's all safeties in the league. That's all linebackers in the league. Anyone who covers, he is the Preston. fourth lowest passer rating. That is absolutely wild. So when you're talking about this D and the problems due to the players, right, I'm going to tell you the big issue is what people don't want to accept, Mike, in my opinion. It's up front or where the problems are. Mike Wall pointed it out. It's all over the tape. Um, you go, like we said, we, we went to the statistics earlier today and looked at the uh, the PFF run defense. When you break that down and look at, okay, let's break down these defensive linemen by run defense. Our best run defender, according to PFF, on the defensive line is TJ Slayton, and he ranks 49th overall in overall grade, right? Kenny Clark. Um, way down the list there to 57.8, and his overall defensive rank is 65th. You're talking about a guy who's eating up $27 million in cap next year to be 65th overall, according to PFF. And, again, if you look at the combo tackles, it checks out. Kenny Clark is 34th in combo tackles amongst defensive tackles, not all defenders, defensive tackles. He, According to this metric and the one we just hit on, he's not even starting quality right now, right? And then you mix in the broken tackle yards, which we talked about. That was the problem with the run defense, right? Yes, the run fit. The players didn't didn't fit their gaps, you know, nowhere near perfect on Sunday, but the broken tackles were the worst. And when you break it down by broken tackle yards, Kenny Clark is seven. He has the seventh most broken tackle yards in the entire league. And, again, he's one of the highest paid interior defensive linemen. So I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but if the D's problem is due to players, like you're saying, Mike, right, which starters do you want to see on the roster next year? Kenny, it, it's not worth it to get rid of him and only free up $4 million unless you get really good draft uh, draft capital, and I'm not suggesting they should trade him. But you've got to stop ignoring the fact that your front your front defensive line are pass rushers and you're getting to eat alive in the run because that's where the problem is. But right. think about that question, uh, Emilio. No, and, and I think it's a great point there. The problem is up front. I mean, on top of that, the fact that we can't tackle, that doesn't help anything at all, but that ties into the fact that Kenny Clark is missing on those tackles, you know, and, and you know, gain, gaining the yards after the fact. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're struggling up front. We Either we don't have enough weight or, you know, they, they play out of, out of sorts like Wyatt does, you know, and plays like Tasmanian Devil sometimes. You get lost in your lane. And if there's seven guys on the field, you know, or if there's seven guys per gap, you know, everybody's got a gap. you got to stay in your lanes. Once you get out, and this ties into what Paul was saying, once you get out of the line and you miss your gap or you're out of the B gap and, you know, the run runs right up through there, who's filling that B gap if that was your space? You know, then the safeties have to come down. Who's who's replacing them? It, it all kind of just starts barreling downhill then, and, and you, you saw it last week. We got eight alive. Yeah, definitely. And uh, here in the chat, Paul Robertson says Ford's tackling, though. If Ford is not the worst tackler on this team, I promise you that. Mm-hmm. That's what's crazy. He missed some tackles this last game. I highlighted it on uh, on Chalk Talk, obviously. But he's probably the best tackling defensive back on this team. That's mm-hmm. what's crazy. So when you talk about his tackling, yeah, it's, it's nowhere near where it needs to be. I can't find a tackle grade according to PFF. I was just trying to check. When you sort by safeties, it's kind of hard to see that. Um, I could probably pull it up individually, but nonetheless, he's also playing free safety. The majority of the time, he's going to be playing that deep third, that deep center, right, uh, in a cover three defense. Now, they need to be interchangeable, right? But Rudy is like the balanced safety on the entire squad. Jonathan Owens, more of a tackler, although we didn't see it Sunday. He's more of a tackler than coverage. And then, of course, 
Darnell Savage was supposed to be that elite athlete that's going to be a great cover, can play center field. That proved to not be the case. So Anthony Johnson Jr., probably second behind Rudy Ford as far as coverage and safety room. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, Ford, I, I, I would venture to say that Ford's tackle grade is probably better than Jonathan Owens, and that's why we brought J.O. here. I'll try to look that up real quick. But, uh, right, but to add to that, What's that? No, to add to that, he shouldn't be having to make those tackles. We It should start up front. It, it shouldn't even get to the third level. At that point, he's already passed the line and the backers. We're now talking safeties. And at that point, it's an explosive play, which Paul said we're getting chewed up on with runs. And we've seen it. So the fact that, that Rudy Ford, you know, that we're talking about attacking grade, yeah, there's definitely a, a fact to that. But the ball shouldn't even be getting down that far of the field, especially on a run play. Yeah, definitely. So as far as missed tackles for for the entire year, Rudy Ford has six missed tackles. He's got 11 stops and six missed tackles. He's got 47 solo tackles and 12 assists. And again, I'm not saying he's he's great, but like his run defense grade, 64.3. You know, that with the coverage grade of 74.4, you couple in that opponent's passer rating. I'm not saying Rudy Ford is all pro, right? Please right. don't take it the wrong way. Although I am the president with the Rudy Ford fan club, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm saying that should be your floor. Get him a contract, right? Like Jake Shavink's saying right here, it's great stuff, but that means the market price is going up for Ford. Get mm -hmm. him a contract yesterday. Right. And it ain't going to break the bank. It's yeah. not going to break the bank right now, right? It's happening as we speak. The more he plays, as long as those numbers stay the same, because last year he was kind of a roller coaster. He had high games, low games, high games, low games. If he's even that out and has – been producing for us that's something that we need to take advantage of to like you said set a floor so that we can move forward with the safety room you know if ajj is going to step in if we're going to draft another one who knows but we need to have at least something going there especially if savage is on his last year uh right for, with the with the nine mil this is his last of the of the fifth so yeah. who's gonna who's gonna be the floor is it jo you know yeah and as far as contracts coming back you've got anthony johnson jr coming back there was someone who signed like a two-year deal. It might have been Jonathan Owens. Was it Zane? Know. Was it Zane Anderson? Did he? Did, or no? Um. Uh. uh Levitt, right? Did, yeah, is that, it, I think it might have been Dallin Levitt. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. So with that being said, like Anthony Johnson Jr. is the only one coming back right now. So it kind of shows you they're either going to overhaul or let Rudy test the market. I think they should go ahead and get a contract done because here's the deal: you can offer some extra guaranteed money. Give him a three-year deal, right? Mm -hmm. Extend him two more years and give him some guaranteed money in his pockets. Last year, he had to test the market, and the market wasn't there for him, right? Now, Goody could be thinking, let's let him test the market again. That may bottom in the rear end, like Jake's saying here. So, we'll see. I just, I think he he should be kind of the foundation, the the building level of that safety room, mm -hmm. and don't let that opportunity pass you by. If you let him walk in free agency, he gets signed, and all you're bringing back is Anthony Johnson Jr. It's like. Whew, here we go. You know, yep. it really got bad. Uh, Mike Hebring, thank you for the super chat. He said, which D players need to be replaced in the offseason? Um, first of all, you got to look at the cap hits, right? You, you're not going to cut someone loose who you're, you're saving $2 million, right, is all mm -hmm. you're saving, and you you might, you know, risk not having them for an up season. You know, right off the bat, I'm trying to think, okay, you got to build up the defensive line. You're not getting rid of Kenny. You're not getting rid of Devontae Wyatt, right? Um, you're not getting rid of TJ Slayton. What I'm simply saying is do what Philadelphia did. You mm -hmm. know, they had Jordan Davis as a rookie and he played great, right? What did they do? They went right back to the well and got Jalen Carter. You can never be too deep on the defensive line. Um, so 
you want a lot of fire under people's rear end to get some competition in there. Right. Um, so it's not so much for me about quote unquote replacing someone as it is adding to that defensive line room. I don't want to replace Quay. I don't want to replace Dre. Right. I don't want to replace Jair. Um, you, you probably don't want to replace Carrington at this point. You're kind of moving forward with him. Although I wouldn't roll out them bringing in another corner. And by mm-hmm. the way, where the heck Stokes, right? He's still, still not healthy. Um, so when you look at replacing, I mean, technically replacing, it's going to be a high turnover in the safety room. The number one target for me, and I hate to be cold-blooded, but Darnell Savage, don't mm-hmm. you dare think about bringing him back. Just listen, go get, go spend the money and get you a solid safety. Imagine, imagine a top 20 safety balance, right, can cover and play the run, play the run fit. Imagine a top 20 safety alongside Rudy Ford. That defense gets so much better just with that, right? right? So that's kind of how I see it, Mike. Again, thank you for the super chat, buddy. If I had to pick a position, it would probably be safety. And like I said, don't be afraid to add to that defensive line room. You got right. to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I would be there too, safety. And then uh, if you were to force my hand, I guess the next look would be at, uh, I mean, maybe Preston. I know we signed him, but if you're really going to force my hand and you want to replace someone, maybe look there. But, again, D-line for sure. Um, but safety, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So let's see what else we were going to hit on here real quick. Um, This was a cool quote here, and it kind of goes hand in hand. This is what Paul was talking about. Um, It also goes hand in hand with uh, with what uh, Mike Wall was saying and what LaFleur actually said at his presser. Okay, I'm going to try to hide this ticker for just a second. Um, This is what Joe Barry said at the presser. When you make a call, you've got a 50 50 chance that it's going to be a run or a pass. So we talk about it all the time, whether you're in split safety defense, middle field open. Uh, when you're in a split safety defense and they do choose to run the ball, you're a safety short in the run fit. You have to defend the run with truly your front. The thing that was disappointing about those explosive runs that we gave up, we were in what we referred to as solo gap defense. One back equals one gap, right? Remember to the floor talking about that. Meaning we're bringing a safety to the party. They had a safety in the box. Everybody pretend like they play with a light box. They're kidding themselves. Right. They had one or two podcasters that were drunk ranting about it, and now they're – Woo, look at this, light box Barry, right? We're bringing the safety down, and when an offense is in a one-back formation to the tight end side, there's four gaps you have to defend. Away from the tight end side, there's three gaps. So there's seven gaps that you have to defend. Well, if you have four down linemen, two inside linebackers, and a safety down, you have seven men for seven gaps. That was the thing that was a bummer, that on those explosive runs, we were gapped out, as we call it. Whether we miss tackles – we had the most missed tackles of any game on Sunday. So that's a bad combination. What's that tell you? They can't go out there and tackle for the guys. Mm-hmm. It tells me you've got players on this defense that are not good at tackling. Now you either approach it like Mike Wall said, hey, we're going to take the first 30 minutes of practice tackling today, right? It's about the only way to answer that. Or you better get players in there that are willing to thump, i.e., a Brian Branch in the draft, mm-hmm. as opposed to going, I don't know, he's a little short. The dude had a better tackle uh, tackle success rate. Listen to this, guys. Include the linebackers. Include everyone, the defensive line, the linebackers, the safeties, everybody. Brian Branch going into that draft had the highest tackle success rate of any player in the PFF era. But we're not willing to look at a player like that because, ah, they're a little short. Ah, they don't meet the athletic requirements. You better start getting some head thumpers in there. 
Right. Your, your run defense is never going to get fixed. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to run Joe Barry out of town. You're going to bring another guy in. You're going to continue to draft like that. They're going to continue to miss tackles. In three to four years, we're going to be sitting there going, oh, fire this guy. He don't know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, man. It's tough. It, it's a tough cycle. I get it. But same time, you got to be realistic about this stuff. Well, that's it. Because if, if you did you say you did pick up Branch, who fills in at the slot if Keyshawn's not working out? A thumper that wants to tackle and we want to stay in nickel all the time. Okay, we can still run seven man per gap, but we're going to have to slide the nickel in. The safety's going to have to come down and play that man. So it's there. There's so many things, but if we need people that want to tackle and want to come, want to come and want to make that connection, um, and if we're playing man on gap, we gotta we gotta fill it and we gotta make those tackles. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and again, right here, Rudy Ford with his 38.3 passer rate, and I can't say it enough. That right there is your floor. Build off of that floor. Get that due to contract. It ain't going to take much right now, but like Jake said, it's going up. Mm-hmm. It is going up. There's no doubt about it. Um, let's see here in the chat. Um, Mike Ebring mentioned, or asked, how many snaps did we have six in a box versus seven in a box? Go watch it, Mike. Seriously, go watch it. Because what you'll see is early on, they're stacking – they stack the box throughout the game, right? Not every snap, but – they stack the box, press man. You'll see it. It was mirror match, press man. What happens? You get beat for an explosive, Barry backs them off, right? Okay, all right, listen, guys, we can't be giving up explosive plays. Right. Back them off. They continue to run the ball. You put them back in the box. That one play that we showed you guys was just insane where what LaFleur's talking about, think about his comment he said after the game. They played with two on the shelf, and they fit their run gaps just fine. They stopped us from running, right? Okay, we put two on the shelf, and you got Nixon playing off. It was frustrating. I don't know if you heard that part of Chalk Talk, Emilio, but, I mean, go back and listen to it and listen to Tim. Tim's the most calm person you ever meet. He's going, what? Like, the the running back has the ball and has taken three steps, and Keyshawn's still backpedaling. Right. He's your nickel. He's your star. He's the guy who's got to get in there and fit that gap, right? And, that's, and exact, that's exactly what I was just saying. If you if you had drafted Branch and he steps down into the slot, that's someone that wants to thump and wants to tackle. If you want to play that light, if you want to play the light man, I would say it would be lightweight, okay, not light man in the box. We have enough people there. It's just maybe lightweight. Um, someone's going to fit that gap. And Keyshawn is not – I didn't catch the part, but, I mean, I 100% would assume he, he's backpedaling and not stepping up. We want someone that wants to come downhill. If you're going to make a mistake, make it 100%. Okay. If if we got safety help over the top, take a chance, dude. We need a spark. If we were down, you know, see that. Just just have your instincts, man. If we're playing too slow for thinking about it, they're going to get eaten alive. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. Like, if I remember correctly, that play was half quarter, quarter, cover six, right? Mm. So with that half quarter, quarter, it would be different. If they were playing a normal split, a normal wide receiver split right. on the slot side, right? Because in that case, he's got to respect the slant. He's got to respect the quick, the quick skinny, the hot, whatever you want to call it. If the quarterback gets the ball out quick, you got to be there to make a play. Emilio, they were running a wider split stack. Mm. And, and literally, the second the ball was snapped, the receiver stepped back for a smoke because it was an RPO look. And he just chose, you know what? We're just going to run the ball. He hands it off. He's covering no one. He being Keyshawn, mm-hmm. no one was an immediate threat. And he's back. I'm going, why are you backpedaling? Dude? Yeah. Who do well, you I'm think not- you're covering right there? Exactly. If it's a smoke, you're coming downhill either way. Exactly. I, if someone- and I understand if he does, if he gets aggressive on that smoke, hey, good play call, right? right. It wasn't even that. Right. 
and and so you so you come aggressive on the on the smoke the only thing that they're going to run is the fake block and you know fade route so you have the safety over the top play the run you know there's you got to come up and meet somebody yeah. What I what I like what Barry was talking about was I, I do kind of like when we go into Penny when it's the five down one one back or five up you know five back um, mm-hmm. I, I like that look because we have you know everyone on the line but the problem is is when we're missing tackles when Kenny's you know when when the inside's losing those battles we can't have five if they're running you know six double you know double tight end it's over you're you have way too many spaces then we got the safeties to fill and if they're not coming downhill fast enough and not making those tackles you know, where are we? Right. Yeah. It's, uh, and again, the goal shouldn't be to stack the box. That should not be the goal. The -hmm. goal should be you're allowed, you're, you're able to play this Fangio style defense, but you've got to be able to fit. You got, and, and like he said, LaFleur said last week, you've got palms, a palms look is a softer look. You're kind of playing the pass more than the run. Right. Right. He's talking about them not fitting on the hard run fits where you're not even in the palms look. You're just in that traditional quarters type look. And when they're when they're not even being aggressive in that hard run fit, what do you do? Mm-hmm. So you change your defense around. That's why you find yourself loading the box. That's why you think you make yourself more susceptible to playing press man and getting the explosives on the outside. So this whole idea of well we just need to load the box. You shouldn't have to if you've got the right players. If mm-hmm. Goody is the super GM and the super scout that everyone says he is, we should be able to play the run fit the way the Steelers do. You just don't have good enough players right now to do that. Right. Yeah. You should that- load the box when you want to load the box. If you want to load the box on a pass set, you know, you got six, seven people lined up across the middle. We're going to drop into, you know, a, a fire zone or whatever. I, I love that. But if we're forced to, if they know, if everybody, if every team knows that every time, you know, they come to play the Packers, hey, they're just going to load the box and try to stop the run because they can't do it. Hey, they can just draw up a whole a whole game plan to step over that one man behind it, and it's over. They'll they'll beat you across the middle, up the side. It, it's mm-hmm. a wrap. Right. Paul Robertson here in the chat says, "Just an FYI, we keep talking about the Packers drafting that safety. The Lions did. He's actually a corner, is how they play him. But I, I get what you're saying. Well, we turned that pick into three players: Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, and Carl Brooks. As Lee Corso would say, not so fast, my friend. The grade I had on him was I was totally cool with taking him with that first round pick." He was that good. So has nothing to do with those extra that you're talking about trading back and maneuvering and getting mm-hmm. nothing to do with it. I, when I, I was of the opinion that when it came to their pick, I remember on the draft show going, I'm thinking it's Lucas Van Ness, but if it was me, I would trade back a couple spots. If Van Ness falls, take him. If, uh, if Van Ness falls and branch goes, then you take him. If, uh, if branch falls, you take him later. So you could have picked up more draft picks trading back slightly. Jake probably knows this. Jake, if you're still in the chat, buddy, when was Brian Branch drafted or anyone in the chat? Because it wasn't like crazy. I think it was in the second round, if I remember correctly. So you could have traded back and still got that player that makes an immediate impact on your defense. I'm all about Lucas Van Ness. Mm -hmm. I think he's got a ton of upside. I got you. I understand it's an edge position. I'm on board with all that. But the thought of Keyshawn Nixon being the nickelback and playing run defense that way, good luck. I mean, it's right. uh, it's tough. Uh, Mike Ebring says, stacking the box is eight in my mind. Yeah, you're talking about going uh, Madden special engage eight there, buddy. I don't mm-hmm. want anything to do. I, yeah. I'm not interested in everybody being up there and giving up explosive yeah. plays. We'll just have to agree to disagree on that, man, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, so right there, they, they're confirming. I knew Branch was a second. I'd like to know where in the second, but that's that's kind of the way I've seen it. James said it right there, 45. 45, yeah. See, come on, guys. And and we have no ability to get back up to 45 to take – you know what I'm saying? Like, th this is always the argument that I have a hard time with when people – and I'm not saying Bates is doing it. He's just giving the information. But a lot of these goody lovers, are well, he wasn't available. It's okay to trade up. It's okay to be aggressive. It's okay mm -hmm. to climb up there a few spots and get a Jalen Carter, right? Talking about a generational talent. Well, he had he had some personal things we were worried about. Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's well, he he's nothing been nothing but a pillar of the community in Philadelphia. Uh, right. By the way, he's a beast on the defensive line. We brought in Brandon Cox, so and, and you know what? <laughs> but that didn't take a precious draft pick, right? You know that's what gets me. Is like I, I can't get over the Rasul thing, man. Like. Mm -hmm. Fourth round, fourth round value for a top twenty, bare minimum top twenty defensive player, mm -hmm. right? This year, and you say, well, no, we got great, we got great value. We got a, you know, a third round pick, and we had to give up a fifth. What are we, what are we doing there? Mm -hmm. I, I didn't plan on going this route today, but <laughs> true, here we are. Um, it's just tough because. Like I said, everything that we've been talking about, everything you see on tape is getting confirmed by other people who know a heck of a lot more about football than me. And it's like, when are we going to turn the when are we going to turn the page finally? Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's just it's all it's always about well, let's just find somebody to hate, right? It's like Christian Watson this week. Everybody blaming Christian Watson. You go back and watch the tape, and you got people saying that that was a perfect pass to Christian Watson. I'm going. If you're if you're going to try to sell me that a perfect pass is underthrown and hits the DB right in the hand. Bro, you could take I'm I'm too drunk to taste that chicken. Ain't happening. Ain't gonna happen. Um, let's see here. Uh Jake Shavink said he does prefer to trade down, but he moved up nine spots for Jair in 18. Very true. That was yep. 18. Yeah, that was not said it too. 23. That's five years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? It's something is just uh, and that was a great, great trade up and, and grab. Don't get me wrong, right? Right. And Omar said it too, right there, and, and he moved up for love. So, yep, and Watson, yep, right. And so Watson. it can be done. Yeah, absolutely, it can. It's just, it's like when it comes to those, when it comes to those top tier top talents, like a Jalen Carter or someone like that. It's, it's like, well, no, that's too far up there. Let's just kind of hang back here where we're comfortable, you know. But I will say this, man, Wicks, <laughs> Wicks. Reed and Musgrave have got me really excited about the future. If you guys mm -hmm. haven't seen Jake Shavink's breakdown on Jaden Reed, go check it out. It was absolutely phenomenal. I tweeted it out. You can find it on my Twitter, uh, my Twitter page there. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, this right here, I'm not saying it's the exact way to thank Doug, but this is how my mind works too. Doug said, this sums up good to me. We let Rasul go and kept Aguara. <laughs> and, and what's crazy is you can even go to the extent of saying we traded Rasul for DeGuara. Like, that's a third-round pick. But it was just too much value to pass up on, man. Oh, it's just – it's tough, man. It's tough. But uh, let's see what else we were going to hit on here before we wrap this big bear up. More good news. More good news right here. Bang. Zach Tom, according to PFF, uh, Zach Tom is the fourth most valuable offensive tackle in the entire NFL. Notice it says offensive tackle. It doesn't say right tackle mm -hmm. in the NFL this season per PFF war at 0.23. Exciting stuff there. You said it, Emilio. That's why you don't want to move him to center, right? Right. 
That's it right there. So I mean, he of course he practices it because he's that you know he's that much of an elite athlete, and in a pinch, yeah, he'll do it. But why are we going to slide him inside? You know, we just need someone inside to step up is what we need. Right. Um, another really, really cool thing that was uh, tweeted out earlier today, this was Wes Hockowitz reposting Mike Spofford's uh, tweet. He said, the most receiving yards by a Packers rookie in the last 30 years is 676 by James Jones in 07. Reed has 417 with eight games to go. More on the story. And, of course, you can go to Packers.com and check it out. That's exciting, man. It looks like he's going to be um, – he's probably going to break the, re- the rookie receiving yards record. Right. And it was set by James Jones in 07. That's a that's a good company there. So healthy. That would be really cool to see. And that would be a notch in Goody's belt, you know. Yep. Well, because every, everyone talks about how you know James Jones was great. We love him. You know, if we get that and we are we're seeing that now on the field, and and like I was thinking, you know, Jaden Reed, as he's been growing, it's been you know coming exponentially. He's been getting better each game. Love seeing it more. Like Paul was saying, you know, those little things where they where they connected and they, they've never practiced it. They've never done this, this, or that. They they saw it on the field at the same time. You know, he made the break. He saw green grass. Jordan Love saw it, and he hit him. As that keeps growing, and he keeps feeling comfortable with him, and as long as Matt keeps running some 11 personnel, we'll be set. Maybe that'll open up the run game a little bit more, and we can, we can start to build off of it. Maybe he realizes that, hey, you know, why is Cooper Cup on the sideline? Hey, why is Jaden Reed on the sideline? And we go from there and, and we kind of branch out into the 11 personnel and, and it takes off. But we can't see anything unless he's on the field. So that's got to happen. And and like I said the other day, I would be fine to put him in the backfield. If you want to run two running backs, one of them can be Aaron Jones. One of them can be AJ. And we'll put Jaden Reed in the sidecar and do the same exact motions and everything. I feel like he's a smart enough guy to be able to pick up on that and learn that in the offense. So I don't think that that would be a problem at all to implement. But Right. Yeah, uh, United Bates here. I appreciate it, buddy. He said, I know Clayton doesn't like to ask. He knows I get awkward as heck when I have to bring this up. Let's not forget uh, that like button, Bossy, um, for sure. And like I said, smash the uh, smash the like button for the algorithm is what Robert Allen said. Yeah, I'm coming to the I'm coming to the realization that I'm going to have to promote it. Just appreciate it. Anybody who watches this video, just take a second, hit like for us. That'll help boost it up where other Packer fans can find. I can tell you how many messages I've got where they're like, how did I not know this show existed? Has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with everyone involved. The Mm -hmm. chat, the content, Emilio, Tim, just a bunch of Packer fans talking ball and trying to understand the game at a little bit different level. So appreciate you guys uh, helping promote that for me because you know how awkward I feel. Let's hit this uh, this chat right here, and then we'll get out of here, Emilio. We're at the one-hour mark. Paul Robertson said, we traded the 45th pick to the Lions. They took branch. They gave us 48 and 159. Then we traded 48 to the Bucks for 50 and 179. Clearly, branch wasn't high on Goody's board. We know why he wasn't, right? We know why he wasn't. So, uh I don't know, man. I don't. I don't expect it to change, and nor do I. Nor do I think anyone should try to take my opinion over an NFL GM. It's just digging into the information, watching the tape. That's that's all I can come up with. Mm-hmm. It's 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 damn sure not as simple as some people would lead you to believe that this is just all Joe Barry. Like, right. It's and I love what Paul said too. Like, listen, Joe Barry's at fault, of course, right? Everybody is. It's just like the Christian Watson play. Like I said, that was a bad throw. That was a bad read, a bad throw. 
a bad decision, a bad throw. It was a bad route ran by Christian Watson, and mm-hmm. I think it was a piss poor play call because why in the world are you weren't running a an out and up a chair, whatever you want to call it, that close in the end zone. You don't have room to really get them to bite and get the separation you need. Although right. there was an answer to the equation on the field, but um, yeah, as as far as like watching the tape on the defensive side of the ball and and seeing okay where are the problems at. That's what I'm coming up with. Is we're just gonna have to spend more time, um, more 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 draft capital on guys that can actually tackle and, and play that way, right? Um, that's just my opinion. So uh, let's see what Jake Shavink says here, and then we'll wrap this thing up. He says Goot wants quote potential great slash elite over good slash very good. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem with that, the the problem with that is uh, how 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 much of that potential is actually going to be great versus how much of that good is going to stay good consistently. And, you know, I I think Tim said it. He would rather take a a, – don't quote me. He'd rather take a good, solid team with a few greats than a great team with, you know, with no – or you said it. So, I mean, that's exactly exactly it. We're we're on the verge of collecting, you know, a bunch of matchbox cars and setting them on the shelf. And, you know, if, if we're never going to sell them or we're never going to, you know, do anything with them, how are we going to get any return out of that? We, we right. need to we need to put it together and, and let's get them on the field and let's do something. Yeah, it's uh, again, you you go out there trying to be a hero. You can die a lonely death. You know, mm-hmm. when you're taking when you're going out there trying to hit home runs rather than singles and doubles, what's going to happen is eventually that's going to run out and you're going to be left with. I don't want to call them busts, but all this potential that hasn't developed, and you can put some of that on. That's what I do put on Barry. That's what I do put on the floor. It's like, okay, these are these are guys who kind of lean towards scheme, and they're obviously not developmental coaches. Who who have they developed since they got here? Right. It's right. there's there's not that many to be honest with you. So uh, Togra with the super chat, thank you, buddy. He says, watch quarterback school on love, and he said the throw to Watson was not a bad decision, just a bad throw and a hell of a play by the DB. Agree with the hell of a play by the DB for sure. It was. It was a nice play, perfect hand-eye coordination. So he's saying it wasn't a bad decision. Matt LaFleur said it was a bad decision. If you listen to the presser, I could play it for you. He said, uh, now, was it a – Was it a? do you want him to go there? He went, maybe. He said, but typically when we got a too-high shell look, that's not where the ball goes. Right. So um, – respectfully I'm going to side with the coach that drew the play up and coached it all week mm-hmm. and installed it in training camp over the quarterback who's not in the league. That's not me putting my opinion over his. It's just simply if the head coach says, eh, that's not where I want him to throw that ball. I'm going to go with that for sure. But thank you for the information Togo, for sure. And I love quarterback school. Yeah. JTL Sullivan does a heck of a job over there, man. I've, I've learned so much watching that channel. There's no doubt. Uh, Togra with the super chat. Didn't Matt say that? My bad. There you go. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So yeah, Matt. Matt was actually the one that pointed out that yeah, I don't. I don't want you going there with the ball. You mm-hmm. know, he didn't come out and all all out say it, but at the end, it's uh, it's either yes, I like the decision, or don't like to do that. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Let's get out of here, Emilio. We're a little bit over, but I appreciate your time, man. Paul Bredo absolutely brung the thunder. I want to thank everybody in the chat. You guys were awesome in here. Love 
love the interaction, love the disagreements too. There was several people I know disagree with me on this. And, and I know Mike Hebring does, you know, if you, if you think putting eight in the box is the right way to go, who am I to say you're, you're wrong and I'm right. Right. It's right. just not the way I like to play it. I want to try to cons- control the explosives and you, you will shut down the run. Right. I, I mean, well, there was times they had eight in the box. You'll be surprised. And people will draw that line too. And they'll go not technically in the box. When you're playing a wide nine, with your outside linebacker slash your defensive end, as Coach LaFleur pointed out to the media and slapped mm-hmm. him across the back of the head. When you're playing that wide nine, I'm considering that a box player because they've got the C to inside, right? They're playing that contain. You're taking away the outside mm-hmm. zone, that type of thing. If you kick those guys into where they're playing at least the four tech, right? You know, two is directly across from the guard, four is directly across from the tackle. If you're getting that hung up and saying, I want them in the box rather than the wide front, yeah, good luck with that when they start running that outside zone on you. Right. That power out, you know. On, see. on top of that, Clayton, when they're out in the wide nine, they still dip underneath and inside anyway and give up. I mean, we have we have struggled to set an edge this year. So right. they're still giving it up outside anyway. So even if we did set them inside, what you know, yeah. it's crazy. Good point. Again, I think it's uh it's the Joes we've got, right? It's not the X's and O's, it's the Joes. And uh we just got to get better. And again, it's mm-hmm. a young it's the youngest team in the league. There's a lot of I think there's a lot of upside there. It still amazes me of our rankings and defense. Now, we're getting ready to enter the gauntlet now. Yep. You're going to see those rankings drop, right? You're going to see us drop out of the top ten. If we don't, then this te- defense took a massive step forward because you got some good offenses. Like we said, the L.A. Chargers, great passing game. Um, of course, we got the Chiefs around the corner. You got the Lions on Thanksgiving. That yep. Lions game is going to be another good benchmark for us to just to kind of test it and say, okay, how Where much have we improved? Yep. Yep. Especially on the defensive side of the ball. I'm excited to see that one. I mean, like Matt said, like Matt said, I think a reporter asked him, you know, what are you thinking about the Lions game? We got to worry about what's ahead of us. We got a game coming up on Sunday against a good Chargers team. Let's go out there and play ball. We need dogs on the defense. We need players on the offense. And it's just got to happen. Yeah, no doubt, man. No doubt. Well, I appreciate you being in here, Emilio. It was fun oh, chatting sure. it up with you, man. I want to give a special oh. Special thanks to the Super Chats. You got Mike Hebring. Thank you, buddy. Uh, Togrel with the Super Chat. Thank you guys so much. Everybody in the chat, thanks for contributing. Appreciate you guys swinging through. Um, for those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go back up. The power sweep. Actually, it's the, it's the lead play in our, in our offense. You drive down the first man to his inside. Pull back and get him. Take the first man outside the offense. Exactly. No one shows. Go right by this and feel this side. If the YN has the linebacker taken out, that's inside. If the YN has the linebacker in, he comes all the way around. If you look at this play, what we're trying to get is a seal here. And a seal here. And try to run this play in the 